You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. And I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. So yeah, just another big welcome, and especially to our friends on Zoom. Uh, I got to hang out with you. Sorry, I'm just waiting for the buzz. All right. Any of our pros, if you have advice for me, just let me know. Uh, I got to hang out with the Zoom folks last week. It was a little weird. I was in both spaces. I was here with you on screen and also hanging (laughs) on my computer with uh, the Zoom folks as my family was a little ill. But anyway, Zoom friends, hi. Uh, It is good to finally be here with you a little bit more in the flesh uh, and leaning into this this great new year. Um, I hope you guys have had a good week and are are like me, excited just to be here together in whatever ways we're gathering, to be able to gather here uh, together. One of the things that we love to do every time we gather is that we like to pray over our kids because we think our kids are awesome. After we pray for them, we are that is going to be a cue at the end that any kids who want to can come over here to the side and our teachers and helpers will be taking them uh, inside into their classroom where they will stay nice and dry and enjoy story and craft and all that kind of stuff. But this morning, it is our friend Stephanie Brown here, part of our Zoom community. Now that we have our projector back, we're going to get to enjoy a little bit more connectivity. Um, Stephanie is just an amazing person. If you guys haven't had a chance to meet her, some of you, because she has been worshiping uh, online mostly during this season, but Stephanie is one of the vice presidents of our board and is part of our connector team and just has an incredible heart for people and justice. And she inspires me all the time. And this morning, she's going to pray over our kids for us. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, thank you so much, Brenna. Um, it is one like- second, Stephanie. We are going to get your. Can I get a thumbs up, Brenna, if you can hear me? Are you able to hear me yet? Yes, I heard. Thank you so much, Brenna, for those kind words. Um, Hi, everyone. It is such a joy to be with you all today. Um, Let's pray. God, thank you for the kids in our lives, Lafayette, the community, and the world at large. Bless them. Keep them close to your heart. Let them always feel your love and pleasure in who they are. Thank you for their creativity, curiosity, and courage. Help us to learn from them and to come to you with childlike creativity, curiosity, and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kiddos. And if you would like to, any kiddos in the room, if you want to come over here uh, to the side and... Our teachers will lead you out. I also want to introduce, if you haven't had a chance to meet Bill yet, though that's unlikely, Bill White, our other co-pastor <laughs> here at City Church. What, you what? all know. You know what I mean. It's unlikely you have not met Bill yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Which is a good thing. All right. Maybe I'm like I mean, pathologically I just, extroverted. Okay. I, I just mean you're, you're eager to meet eager, folks. Eager to meet. Which there. is awesome. This is a good thing. Um, you've got the extroverted pastor and the introverted pastor. Uh, well, the introverted pastor, I'm, I'm kicking us off today uh, with a little story about my family vacation. And it's not the story that involves flu and strep throat and some of the kids getting both. Um, 
no, not that story. This is before that. So we went out uh, over the holidays all the way to Atlanta uh, because one of my nephews is a college basketball player. And so we got to go enjoy watching him play a big tournament, like all the family gathered. And it was super great, even though I'm not at all into sports. If my nephew is playing, that's fun. And I've got a general idea of the rules. I could pretty much follow. Okay, so we're, we're there in Atlanta. And before we went, my husband Israel and I were just thinking, okay, what would we like to do with the kids while we're there? It's not like we get to the East Coast that much. And it just seemed to us like, oh, like, you know, like, let's really, this is, this is the heart of the civil rights movement in a lot of ways. And we're kind of a nerdy, historically oriented type family, hopefully a justice oriented type family. And so we decided to look it up and we was, oh my gosh, there is the Martin Luther King Jr. National Park right here in the heart of Atlanta. And it, it's really cool. Um, maybe our kids, it wasn't quite geared for the seven-year-olds. I'll admit that. Um, but for those of us who are a little older, it was really cool because there was a museum and there it was actually the resting site of Dr. King and his wife and, and the home that he grew up in and the church, uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, you know, where he was a co-pastor for years. And now current Senator Raphael Warnock, you know, is now the pastor of that church. It's all there within a couple blocks. And so we got to walk around and enjoy and look at things and, and really just got the sense of it was a pilgrimage site uh, for many people. So towards the end of that time, uh, as I was trying to keep, you know, some of the kids a little bit more engaged with what we were doing. So I, I was walking with some 10 and 11 year olds uh, and looking around the stuff. And I was, you know, I was showing them some of the things that were sort of more modern, the work that Dr. King's daughter Bernice is doing to continue the legacy. And I was telling them a little bit about her just because I, I enjoy following her work um, and how she was continuing the work. And then one of the boys really insightfully, insightfully for you know, a 10 year old says, wait, the work isn't done. And I was just one of those ones like, no, no, I'm, I'm so sorry to have to tell you. And, and, you know, reality, right? Like if he had been born in a, a different setting in a, maybe a different skin, he might've known that intuitively already, but to say like, no, the work is not done yet. I don't know if some of us have been feeling that over the past week. I mean, we've been feeling it over the past years and decades, but you can even think over the last week, have you been feeling in your body, in your heart, that the work is not yet done? And that's hard and it's tiring. And yeah, we, we just wrestle with that. So the passage that we're looking at together this morning is actually, it, this is going to be our last sermon. We've been, we've been thinking a little bit about what wisdom is and who wisdom is. And so today's passage is going to summarize some of what we've talked about over the last few weeks. And I want to let you guys know that, especially if you're like, this is my first time at church in a while. Hey, me too. It's okay, <laughs> right? We're, we're all leaning in together. But, but there are ways that this passage is actually going to summarize some of what we've been talking about, where thinking about um, what some scholars call wisdom Christology, this connection between Jesus and the idea of wisdom, and, and also how wisdom is full of delight and full of life. But it's also going to take us into this question of what does it mean that the work 
is not yet done? And how does wisdom lead us into the work? How is wisdom the way to salvation as liberation and the abundantly good life for all? And so just so to give you a little bit of of context for the passage that we're going to hear this morning, Jesus is, as he often is, he's, he's in a crowd. And he's talking first to a specific group of people and then to the crowd at large. And, and the specific group of people who launch this conversation are messengers from another religious leader who's actually Jesus' cousin, uh, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is, wants to know, like, are you really it? So he sends his messengers to you say, are you it? Are you really the way? And how would we know? And then Jesus is trying to answer that question. And the way he answers the question is going to help us quite a bit, I think. So our friend Ari Kim Elorabi is going to do the reading for us this morning. Would you help welcome Ari for us? Yeah. Ari, thank you so much. And if you'd be willing to stand here at City Church, we like to stand often for the reading of God's word, just to show it some honor and help us listen in. Uh, It might come up on the screen. There you go. Yep. So you can read it there or on your phone. All right. Matthew 11, 4 to 5 and 18 to 19. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The human one came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. People of God, this is the word of God. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Um, so we are going to spend some time in this passage, and we're going to start at the the back end and kind of work back upwards through it. Um, Jesus has this line at the end in verse 19, where he says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And this is a little kind of refresher for what we talked about a couple of a couple of weeks ago, but it's this super interesting idea that, that comes out about Jesus being wisdom. So wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus is referring to himself here as wisdom, and you can look at his deeds, and that proves that he's right, that he's doing the right things. Um, what's interesting, though, is typically we don't think of Jesus in in the feminine but that's actually what's what's going on here and and for some of us we've had some some conversations i've had some healthy conversations on email like hey that's a little weird (laughs) to refer to jesus as she and as a feminine person and some of us that seems really challenging and others of us it might seem really comforting but i just want to touch base on on where we get that in this passage as another kind of intro into this whole idea of of having a new way to live in the world. So when when Jesus is closing out his whole argument here, and he says, but wisdom is proved right by your deeds. He's saying, look, take a look at me. 
and look, look how I live, and you'll see that I'm, I'm actually living God's way. And the, the word for wisdom there is Sophia. It's a Greek word. It's the name of a woman. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's super common in the Old Testament, in, in the Bible, that Sophia, wisdom, is personified as a woman and as God. Sort of the, the feminine side of God, so to speak. And, and so Jesus here is saying, I, I'm wisdom. And notice that he says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. He uses a feminine pronoun in verse 19. And he's talking about himself. That's a little weird. And can we just all acknowledge that? That's a little odd. But I just want to just sit with this just for a second, because Jesus is not just saying like, hey, I, I am wise. Jesus is saying, no, I am wisdom. I am the one that we've always known that the scripture has taught is the, this feminine aspect of God. That's me. And it opens up new ways for us to know and experience Christ. When you think about the, the name Jesus Christ, right? I don't know if you knew this, but Christ is not his last name. <laughs> All right? I mean, let, let's just be clear. Like, his name is Jesus, but they call him Jesus Christ. Christ is a, is a, a, a title. It's the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one. And if you talk about wisdom Christology, Jesus had a, a birthday. Christ did not. We, in, in classic Christian theology, we believe in the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when you think of the Son, Jesus, we're actually talking about the Christ. And the Christ existed before Jesus was born. Right? This is making sense. And the Christ is God. The Christ is not male. God is not male. And so many times we see in the scriptures that the, the Christ is actually portrayed as feminine. Mm. And for some of us, this may be like, wow, that's really weird. And, you know, you're trying to be all lefty or, you know, it's actually just in the Bible. This is what Jesus is referring to himself as. He's not quoting anyone. No one knows where this quote came from, that wisdom is proved right by her deeds. It's not, it's not some ancient quotation that he's quoting. He's just saying, like, look, wisdom, proved right by her deeds. And it's, it's Christ saying, you can know me as feminine. And for some of us, that's mildly interesting. And for some of us, it feels kind of challenging. For some of us, it might be life-saving. Mm. To realize that she understands you, that she she gets you, that she the Christ she knows your experience, and that's part of what it means for us to step into this new way of life that Jesus is talking about here. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you were able to have some good, healthy conversations, right? Because the people who are coming saying, this is really new and it feels uncomfortable, 
that's actually valid. It is uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I got, I, to ask some questions. I got a great email that said, hey, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but I don't get it, and that sounds wrong. I'm like, that's not offensive at all. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Let's talk. And, 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 and we may not agree about everything. That's okay, too. Yeah, yeah. So thanks to all of you, like, when you have questions for coming and asking them. Um, actually, one of the things that I love, and I mean, I, I do... I do love the idea of being able to approach Jesus in the feminine. Um, but there's also a, a broader point for me that it's just the idea that wisdom not being a thing, right? Wisdom not being some set of ideas, but wisdom being a person. Wisdom being intrinsically personal and relational. And that's a very different thing. And it, it, to me, it always feels like it, it leads us into some better conversations within ourselves as we're thinking about how to live, but as a community, as a broader community, a world. So last week, we were really looking at wisdom in terms of that relational aspect as delight, the wisdom of delight. And that's how wisdom describes herself as saying, I, I just, I delight in everything. I delight in the world. I delight in my relationship within God's self. I delight in you, crazy people, you wonderful, messy, complicated people. I delight. And we're not going to go into that super, super deeply this morning, except to say, hey, look here in this passage from this morning too, we see those overtones because the criticism that Jesus is getting from the religious leaders, from sort of like the, those people who are living a little bit more within the system, within the status quo. This is what they say about him. They say the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now that, that term, the son of man, we often uh, use what we think is a better translation uh, of that particular title for Jesus, which is just the human one. The one who shows us what it means to be fully and delightfully human. The imago dei, sort of fully realized in, in, fum, in human form, showing us what it means, uh, who God really is. And, and that term Christ Messiah, liberator. This is, this is the human one, Jesus. And so Jesus' critics are getting all up in themselves, all flustered, um, because he's going to parties, and he's drinking wine, and he's enjoying the company, hanging out with people that they don't think he should hang out with. Those are the people you should avoid if you're truly holy. They're holding on to this idea of holiness as separation. Where what Jesus is actually doing is he's saying, no, I'm actually showing you something different about what it means to live in the world and the way that wisdom relates with the world. Where wisdom is actually about going to the parties and drinking the drinks and having the food and, and meeting all the people because wisdom is about delight. It's about radical engagement with the world. As we talked about last week, that delight is about curiosity and compassion. How do you have that from a distance? How do you say like, oh, I have a lot of curiosity and compassion for those people at the parties that I don't want to be at because I'm scared of being at the parties. 
I'm a little scared. They might rub off on me. You can't have delight for the people at the party that you refuse to go to, that you're scared of. Now, I am going to say, I think these religious folks are obviously easily flustered because what we see in the verse beforehand is they're also really upset about John the Baptist because he didn't do any of that, right? Because he didn't eat and he didn't drink. His was a strategy of sort of radical disengagement. It's a bigger topic, but I'd say it was also a strategy of delight. Where he was saying, I want to delight in some other things so much that I'm just not going to engage in that. And, and interestingly, we actually see Jesus. Jesus dips into that strategy sometimes, right? He goes off and he fasts for a season. And he takes his moments for quiet and prayer. But, but by and large, Jesus is showing us this, this practice of delight. How boldly engaging with the world because it's out of curiosity and compassion that healing comes and that's what wisdom looks like i I have to tell this okay so last week right so was my mom's memorial service and it was super meaningful and there were lots of tears but it was super fun also my brother knows how to throw a great party (laughs) if you've not seen the pictures ask me it was crazy. So anyway, so and this there, is coming from Bill, who throws yeah, parties is, yeah, like every so. other day. Right? So and there were two parties. So there's an immediate reception and then there's the big dinner party. But the, at the immediate reception, right? So this is in the fancy church I grew up in, which has like, I mean, it's like super fancy, super fancy. And uh, at the party, they're serving wine. Apparently, there's a policy that there's no alcohol allowed at this church. Um, my brother didn't ask for the policies. He just pressed forward um and so a couple of the elders came to the pastor who you know she and i shared the service together for my mom and so the so the elders come to her and say you know we have a policy that there's no alcohol here and she reported later she said i didn't feel like i had a lot to say to them since i was holding a glass of chardonnay it's like you can just picture (laughs) So great, right? She was delighting, and it was so delightful. It really was great. It was a great, it, but it was sort of this picture exactly. You know, uh, maybe maybe grateful, but yes. Um, so in this passage, um, there's this new approach to Jesus, like kind of feminine wisdom personified. There's this delight, and then there's the the major. Those are kind of the minor themes here. There's the major theme around how how Jesus is is introducing this way of life into the world that's different. And so again, the the sort of summary verse is is verse 19, where it says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And we're going to look at by her deeds. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds, by what she does, by how she moves in this world with real human beings and this passage has been all about that right so when you hear Ari read the 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 top end of the passage there's this questioning about who is Jesus and is he the the one like what Brennan was saying and in verse 4 this is what Jesus says he says go back and report this to John John the Baptist his cousin another kind of key leader 
at this and in his day. Go back and report to John what you see in here. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. You want to see wisdom improve right by her deeds? Well, this is what she's doing. <laughs> she's out in the streets, and a lot of it is she's, she's getting some medical justice done. In a world not that much unlike our world, where to have major medical issues often pushes you to the side of society, pushes you out. So if you, were, if you had leprosy, you were literally not allowed in the villages. You had your own camp over here, and they would sort of throw food to you every now and then. I mean, you were absolutely marginalized. Mm -hmm. And Jesus comes and says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the system of doing things and go out there, go outside the camp, as, as it says in a later book in the Bible. I'm going to go hang out with those folks. I'm going to bring this healing. And the, the healing that he brings is not just the physical healing. It's this holistic, like, we're going to restore people to their, to their jobs, to their families, to their social circles, to their well-being within themselves, all of this together. So, like... A little bit later on in the Bible, there's a story about this, this man who was born without being able to see. And all that people wanted to do was have a big debate over like, well he, well, he was probably a sinner. No, it was his parents who were the sinners. And they're having all these debates, again, about pushing this guy further to the outside, who's already can't work, who's already struggling economically in relation. And you're like, Really? And Jesus is constantly flipping these systems when he touches and he heals. He's always bringing them back into, back, back to the center of society. And it, it, it made me think a little bit about my wife, right? So Katie, she works full-time doing medical justice. That's, that's her job for a living, right? She works on Skid Row uh, up, up in L.A. at a medical clinic. And I've started writing down her stories because they are just crazy. I mean, they're cray-cray. I mean, I could go on and on. But I was, I was just thinking this morning, I was thinking about one of these stories where recently she says, and this is, this is I think, I love this story because it's a picture of the kind of healing that Jesus is interested in. These are folks who are working on Skid Row to bring healing to, to the, the least of our siblings. Who, I mean, it's just desperate times, right? And so she's seeing this one patient who has just terrible diabetes. And his sugars are just spiking, totally out of control. Uh, he's about to go into shock. He can't walk. And so she, uh, she gets him stabilized. It's at the end of her day. And she calls uh, for the ambulance to come and, and take him so he can get, get into the hospital because he, you know, he needs advanced care. And she says to me afterwards, she says, you know, <laughs> she says to me because 
I'm her husband and I cook dinner and I get a little grumpy sometimes when she's late. And she was late. She says, you know, even though I can literally see the rescue squad from the front door of our clinic, I can see it. It takes them two hours to get here Mm. because they don't like our patients. Mm. So she stands on Skid Row after the clinic's closed, waiting with her patient Mm. to make sure that he gets his care. See, that's, that's this picture, right, of, of a system that's, that's turned upside down onto the people, the very people it's supposed to care for. And Jesus is saying, no, let, let's turn it right. Yeah, physical care is part of it, but there's so much more. Mm-hmm. There's so much more. And in this passage where Jesus, is, again, is saying, like, look at her deeds. What is Christ doing in the streets like, what, how does it actually play out? It's not, it's not an idea. Wisdom isn't an idea. Wisdom is a way of life. And so the, the, that little piece there where, where Jesus is talking a lot about medical justice, he closes, though, with this phrase, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. There's not more condemnation heaped upon those who are struggling, particularly economically. And we're going to unpack this in the next few weeks. Uh, after our 10-year anniversary next week, we're going to do a series that's going to look at some of this. But um, he says, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And I was struggling this week trying to understand what it was. And then I had this, this vision, this vision in the form of a memory of sitting earlier this month with some friends around a table. There were half a dozen of us. Mm. And... This, uh, this one friend asks this question. He, he says, Bill, how do you deal with the, you know, the stuff in yourself you don't like? In fact, the stuff in yourself you hate. How do you, mm. what do you do with that? I'm so glad it was him, not me, who asked the question, right? I, I tend to be a little bit overly direct in my questioning sometimes. And so I figure, hey, it's your fault. You asked. Let's talk. And so we begin this conversation around this table. And, and so I share a little bit, and he shared, and I was like, God, how about you? And how about you? And so it gets down to the far end of the table. Mm. And this, this dear man shares, well, I don't really know what to do with the dark side of myself. I've been through so much. I just, I just, I just try to not think about it. He said, you know, I, uh, I can't look in the mirror. He said, I, I tried it the other day. I tried looking in the mirror and it was just too hard. Because mm-hmm. the things that have been done to me and the things that I've done, it's just overwhelming. And if I actually look at myself, I see what's there. And as it turns out, there are a couple of pastors at this table. And uh, we try to say something kind of trite. That's what pastors do, right? Like, quick, make it better. I don't know. I 
supposed to say something. Thank God. Off at the far side of the table. Not even actually sitting at the table. But kind of like sitting on the floor by the table. Hmm. Was another friend. And this friend, uh, so he's, he's trans and, he's, and, he, and he says, oh, I know. Oh, I know. I know what that's like. And he starts to unfold his own story about, about hating himself and, and the journey towards freedom and, and what it was like when he started to experience love by some friends, some actual Christians who loved him and accepted him. I mean, there are tears all around the table. We're all like, oh. And, it, and, and it's this picture, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. It's not by the pastors like, ah, blah, 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 blah. No, it's someone who is, who's lived in that trench, has fought that battle, and says, let me show you, share with you, there actually is hope. There is a way out. Let's talk sometime. Because mm-hmm. Jesus said, not only does he bring healing and wholeness, he also says that the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Mm. It's this new way of doing life. Mm. The stories are so often my favorite part of getting to be together, getting to hear stories like that, getting to hear all of your stories. Um, Joe, I'm going to jump just a couple slides ahead. I don't want to want to throw you too badly, but um, there's this incredible quote uh, from an Old Testament scholar named Will Gaffney. Um, you guys have heard us use her incredible stuff before, but it's all about stories and how stories help us develop wisdom because we're actually getting close to wisdom, to God. She writes this, the tycoon really any wealthy person, cannot know God fully without knowing her as a hungry child knows her. A white supremacist cannot know God without knowing the God of black church mothers, who's a mother to the motherless. The homophobic heterosexist cannot know God without knowing the queer God in all zero transcendent transness. The law and order cop cannot fully know God without knowing the God of the black person executed in the street without the benefit of a trial. The supersessionist cannot know God fully without, not, without knowing how her Jewish and Muslim children experience her. The boundary-crossing God inhabits and transcends all of our categories, marking each one, each aspect of ourselves, our identities, our bodies as holy, as fit for the divine. As I was reading that this week, as I was thinking about all these stories 
and all these experiences, you're pulled into this idea of justice as wholeness, what the Bible often terms shalom, this this interwovenness, this forceful goodness we've talked about so often. And we can't know that God. We can't actually move towards justice without actually sitting in the stories, without actually learning from each other, hearing, who is God to you? How has God shown up in your life so we can get this broader picture? There's a a final little little bit of the book of Proverbs that I want to offer this morning as sort of a closing picture and maybe even a little of an explanation again for why we we've been thinking of this little series as life as a tree because it's this picture of wisdom as the tree of life and it goes like this in Proverbs 3 verses 17 and 18 her ways Sophia wisdom Jesus her ways are pleasant ways delightful ways and all her paths are peace She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. There's another, there's an area in scripture where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and what it's like. And he talks about how it grows from the tiniest of seeds, the mustard seed. And it grows into the largest tree in the garden, the tree of life, where all the birds of the air come and they find rest and rest on the branches and it's this expansive abundant inclusive picture of wholeness right this tree of life where we're all welcome we all get to find rest one of the other things that i love about this little snippet is that it it's all her paths not just one path You all have traveled different paths to be here this morning. And yet all of them led you to this place. That's why we talk so much about being a Jesus-centered church, right? Because we're all, you from over here and you from over here, and maybe some of us are feeling close today, and others of us, man, we're feeling a little far off, but we are here because Jesus invited us. Jesus welcomes us. These are paths of peace, And as Dr. King so often reminded us, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. We're invited to hold fast to wisdom. Wisdom in all her delight. And wisdom even when it's hard. Because sometimes it will be hard work. So that moment back in Atlanta, in the MLK historical park when uh, these preteens were talking with me and realizing oh, there's still work to be done. One of them asked another good question. Okay, there's still work to be done. So there's Dr. King's daughter, Bernice. Who'll do it next? What about when she's gone? And right there in that moment, it was just well, kiddo, you, why'd you think I brought you here? (laughs) This is your work. 
your work to do. And it's the invitation for all of us. Move closer to Jesus, which means moving closer to justice and closer to each other. Uh, 